Good morning, church. It's good to see you here this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 will be in verse 10 to the end of the chapter. We'll finish up the book of Philippians today. Before we jump into the Word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this time. We thank you that we have freedom to come without fear, to study and to be led and moved and molded by your word. We pray that your spirit would be present and known uh, among us this morning. We would be ready and willing and able to hear and to see what you would have us learn. It's in and through Jesus' precious name that we pray. Philippians 4, uh, starting in verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, uh, whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Again, God in heaven, we ask that you would fill us, enliven us with your spirit, so that the word would not just be heard, but would be felt, and known, and experienced, and made part of who we are. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name.
So today we're in, again, the conclusion of the letter to the Philippians. What I mentioned last week when we got into chapter 4 and got into what we're calling the proper conclusion of Paul's letter, uh, Paul, Paul kind of shifts from his very specific train of thought kind of writing manner and he kind of gets a little bit more broad as he gets way more practical. In the first three chapters, as Paul's pattern always is in the start of his letters, he is theological, doctrinal in nature, meaning he's writing so that we might understand a particular topic. He's, he's teaching us about the ideas, the things that we think about. And then he concludes, almost all of his letters, he concludes with the practical application of what we've learned. Philippians is about the, is about the gospel. It's about the message of Christ and what, what he has done for us, all the work that he has done for us, and what that then means as we apply it to our own lives, as we apply it to the life of the church, and as we apply it to taking it out into the world. Last week in the first half of chapter 4, we looked at kind of conflict resolution in light of the gospel. Conflict resolution in light of the gospel. We see that one of the reasons why Paul writes the letter to the Philippians is to address Judea and Syndicate. I talked earlier in, in chapter 1 that one of the reasons why Paul is writing the letter is because he wants to encourage the Philippians who are concerned about him being in prison. He says, it's okay that I am in prison. God has this under control, and my imprisonment is serving to advance the gospel. We saw also in chapter 2 that Paul was writing to uh, explain the situation with Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus came to serve Paul and ended up uh, returning sooner than probably was expected because he got ill and was nearing death. And so Paul wanted to say, don't think badly of this man because he's He's back too soon, but rather know that his work for the Lord is well appreciated and, and deserving of honor. And then Epaphrodite, or and then Paul writes uh, to Judea and Syndicate to agree in the Lord. Uh, agree in the Lord. Today we're going to see a different subject. And Philippians is a really good letter really good letter. It's a powerful letter. And I know I've said this before, and, and, and undoubtedly I'll say it again because I, I there is this desire as a preacher to preach powerful sermons. Right? I mean, you guys want to come in here and be, and be affected by the Word of God. And most of those sermons revolve around the message of the cross. That we who are sinners are redeemed by the work of Christ, called into the arms of God, and that's, that's great. I said a couple weeks ago, I don't even remember what, what sermon it was from, that you know, there's, there's other things in the Bible, and sometimes, for, for, at least for me, I have this desire to try to make them more exciting, and, 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 but, but yet it's the Word of God we should never... Shy away from the word of God. Today, Paul is going to conclude this letter by talking about a subject that everybody in this room loves to hear about, and that's giving. Financial giving. Paul's not talking about tithing. We'll talk about that in just a second. He's not talking about tithing. He's talking about special giving, and we just don't really like to hear about it. 
We don't really like to be told that we're to give or to whatever reason we're giving or whatever. And we really don't like it when pastors talk about it because pastors have a bias towards it, right? You guys tithe to the church and that tithe goes, a big chunk of it goes to paying me to do this. To be here through the week, to counsel people, to prepare sermons, and that's a, you know, it's a, it's a big obvious elephant in the room conflict of interest that I'm going to stand up here and talk to you about how you should give and why you should give and what the purpose of giving is. It's, it's conflict of interest. So it's not the most exciting sermon, but it's the, it's the thing that Paul ends with. And it's the thing that Paul ends with, not because it's the most important thing, but because it's a thing. Right? He, he, we've, we've shared the gospel message. Paul shared the gospel message. And now he's like, this is where it applies. This is where it applies. And so we're going to jump into it. First thing that Paul says, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul is joyful, or he is expressing the joyfulness that he feels in his heart. Joy is the noun, and, and rejoicing is the verb. I'm, I am joyful that at length you have revived your concern for me. And what Paul is talking about, very specifically, is financial aid. Now, I'm going to make this very distinct difference differentiation here because I think it's it's in the text number one and number two it's in the Bible it's it's different we are called in scripture to give to give of our time to give of our talents and to give of our resources which includes our finances and all of these things are are commands of God to his people to, to give we are to serve we are to we are to do this but financial giving in Scripture is differentiated between other types of giving. God gives us very specific requests and commands in relation to financial giving. We're called to give a tenth. A tithe is what the Hebrew word tithe actually means. It's a tenth. It's a command, and that's different than, than of our time. We're never told to give a tenth of our time to the church. We're told to give our time to the church. We're told to give our time to each other, service and other, other such things. But financial is different. There's also different promises that are connected to those gifts. We'll get to that in a minute. So Paul's talking about financial concerns. He says, I rejoice that at now at length you have revived your concern for me. And then he says, you, you were indeed concerned for me. You had no opportunity. Here's what, here's what we learned. The, the, the Philippian church, when Paul was in Philippi, financially supported Paul like you do with me. Paul was, was not, it was not necessary for Paul to have another job, to earn an income, to buy food and clothing and shelter. So this is what you guys do for me. When I am paid, that's what that goes to. I don't have to have another job. I can spend all of my time and effort here. So the Philippian church, they did this, but then Paul left. He would continue on in his ministry. And the Philippian church also gave a gift that extended past his time with them 
to his time in mission. But eventually that money would wear out, would run out, excuse me, wear out is probably not the right word. And then there was a continued effort to support Paul when he was in Thessalonica. So there is a continued effort by the Philippian church to support Paul in his work in the ministry, namely his mission work. But at some point, the Philippian church either stopped continuing that work or stopped having the opportunity to continue that work. When Paul was put in prison, it changes. I've talked, we talked at the beginning of, of the letter to the Philippians that the, the Roman prison system was significantly different than the American prison system. Even the most heinous of criminals in the American uh, prison system will get food every single day. Right? We'll have, you, you will be fed. You'll have basic human rights met so that you can, you can live until whatever happens. In the Roman prison system, it's just not, the, it's just not guaranteed. It might happen. There might be, people, or there might be uh, guards and whoever to support you and to help you in different ways. But, but the government itself is not going to support you. So Paul, he's put in prison. And the Philippians, they go, we, we see the need. We know that you need some money. We know that you need some food, so we're going to send a Paphrodite, we're going to send a gift with them. And so they've revived their concern for Paul. And he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you are able to do this. But we learn in the next verse, in verse 11, that it's not the gift that he has received that he is joyful about. He goes on, he says, not that I am speaking of being in need. He's not speaking about the need being met by the Philippians. He's speaking of something else, which we're going to get to. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul's teaching us that it is a biblical truth that we are to be content no matter the situation in life. Do you know that this is, this is quite literally the opposite of American logic? The American dream, or at least what used to be the American dream, what made America a great country, was this idea that if you worked hard, you could have more, which has its basis in discontent. It's not good enough to be where you are. Work harder, and you can be in a better place. Is it Bill Gates who said, how much money do you need? He says, just a little bit more. We, we live in a society that screams that you should have more. So Paul says the Bible teaches, or God teaches that we should be content. I have learned that in whatever situation I'm to be, be content. And that is why he, his rejoicing is not that a need is being filled. Something else. He says, I know how to be brought low, verse 12. And I know how to abound. Paul knows what it's like to not have anything. He's currently in prison. He also knows what it's like to have really everything. Financial security, relative acclaim by the people who are around him. Paul was a superstar in the ancient world. He was known all over the ancient world. Now, maybe not everybody respected him in the same way that Christians did, but so he knows how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I have learned the secret. I've learned the secret. 
Paul says, I, I rejoice in the Lord that you have revived your concern for me. You, you are able to do something for me. And I, I'm joyful about that. But it's not that you are filling my need. Paul says, it's not that you are filling my need because my need doesn't need to be filled because I have found out how to be content. Are you ready for the secret? Do you know if you go into any bookstore and, and go to the self-help section, you're going to find a book probably titled The Secret to Contentment? Do you know it's grossly overwritten? It's one verse. It's one thing. One thing and one thing only. Paul tells us, verse 13, Philippians 4.13. Maybe some of you know it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, through Christ who strengthens me. This is what I call a, a speed bump verse. It's a speed bump verse because, uh, uh, number one, it's extremely well known. And not just in Christian circles. It's well known and unfortunately sort of misunderstood. Most of the time when we see this verse, really in our culture, we see it predominantly in athletes who maybe just lost the big game. Now, Steph Curry, he posted this after he lost to the Cavs in 2016, Philippians 4.13. It's not what it's about. Right? It's not about... It's not about if only I could just harness Christ more, I can get what I want. Now this, this goes to the very core of who Paul is and why Paul, at the beginning of the letter, can say, don't worry about being in prison because God is at work. Paul says, the, the reason why I can find contentment in nothing is because God is at work. The reason why I can find contentment in everything is because God is at work. Because God is strengthening me to endure. Strengthening me to go forward. Strengthening me to move through life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can endure prison for the sake of the gospel. Because Christ strengthens me. I can endure all things. Good, bad, and ugly. I rejoice greatly that after some time you've been able to support me again. Not because I have a need. Because I don't need my needs filled because Christ is my strength. So what is it, Paul, that you rejoice in? Verse 14. He says, yeah, I, I, yeah it, is, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. He's not negating the fact that the Philippians are helping you. It's not that I don't like that you're supporting me financially. It's one of the ways that God provides strength. Verse 15, you yourself, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, when Paul says the beginning of the gospel, he means the beginning of his work in the gospel. 
When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. I'm thankful that you share in my trouble, trouble being his imprisonment, their financial support so that he doesn't starve to death in prison. He's also thankful that they supported him at the beginning. This is what I was referencing earlier, verse 16, and continue to support. Even, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again from time to time. Not that I seek the gift. Not that I seek the gift. Paul is, again, not thankful, not rejoicing, because his need is being fulfilled, because he has his strength in Christ. It's not that he seeks the gift. Here it is. Here is why Paul is joyful. Verse 17, the second part of verse 2. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Not, not to Paul's credit. To you, Philippians' credit. He says in verse 18, I have received full payment and more and am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in His in glory in Christ Jesus. I think there are two things that Paul means when he talks about fruit in verse uh, 16, 17. I think number one is the fact that God provides. When we seek to do the work of the ministry, God provides. One of, one of our fears when we give to people who, who need right, is if I give to this person who needs, then I won't have that and then I'll be in need. But I think the promise that Paul is expressing here, he's God will supply every need, is this. That as the Philippians give to Paul to support Paul, he trusts that God will not leave them high and dry having served Paul. I think that fruit is, is there. But God's scales, as promised to us in Scripture, are different than ours. And this is what makes financial giving different than giving of time and giving of talent. Because God says that, that when you give, I will, I will give back and I will take the same measure you gave to me and I'll stamp it down, I'll fill it overflowing, and then I'll give it back to you. In, in, in the ancient marketplace, you had scales, right? There were scales that you, you would put different different items on, I'm going to give you a, a pound of flour for a pound of, of you know, potatoes or something. I don't know what, what they were exchanging. And the fear was, because the person who had the scale was just one of the market people, the fear and the concern was is that that scale wasn't actually balanced, right? That it, was, it wasn't balanced. So maybe you're going to give a pound for a pound, but the scale is just slightly tipped in the favor of the person Who's owns the scale, right? So you're you're gonna I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you 90% of a pound, and you're gonna get you're gonna get uh, you know 1.1% of a pound, whatever the. So you're gonna give me more than I'm actually giving back, and it's kind of skewed in that person's favor. God says that's true, but the opposite way. 
When you give to me, the scale is in balance, but it's in balance to your favor. It's in balance to your favor. We put this little asterisk on that statement. I'm going to make a statement. I don't don't typically make quite so bold statements whenever I talk about different theologies and doctrines, but the health and wealth gospel is, is wrong. Dare I say it's it's heretical. Because the health and wealth gospel teaches that that if you just have a little bit more faith, if you just give a little bit more, then then God then God will or, or probably better better put or more accurately put must give you in response. Now it sounds very similar to what I just suggested. Because the, the, the fear and the, the, the danger, the real danger of the health and wealth gospel, it's not, it's not that it's heretical, but that it's, its basis is in truth. Right? It's just taken to the wrong extreme. God doesn't give back to us so that we can financially prosper. God gives back to us to extend his glory. If you are blessed financially, the reason why God has blessed you financially is so that you might bless his kingdom. Verse 19, Paul says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I think that what Paul is saying here is that the purpose of giving, the purpose of then receiving the blessing back from God and giving, is God's glory. We do not come to tithing with the intent that I'm going to give and God is going to give it back. We come to giving, firstly and principally, to worship God. To extend his kingdom. The Philippian church, they looked at Paul and they said, he's ministering the word of God, he's doing the work of Christ to expand God's kingdom, we will supply his needs. They didn't then say, and God will then make us filthy rich. So here's what I think Paul is saying. We do not seek to be grown financially because we give. But as we watch and observe others give, we can rejoice that God is at work. Paul looks at the church in Philippi and he says, I rejoice greatly. Rejoice greatly. Not that my needs have been met, though I am thankful for that. Not that I have more now than I did a month ago before you you gave me your gift of financial support. Because I've learned to be content because God is at work in my life. 
But I rejoice because I see that God is going to bless you. I do think the blessing happens in financial ways. And I do think also, and more importantly, the blessing happens in the presence of God. The reason why we seek to be unified last week, the reason why we seek to be unified, we think of others more significant than ourselves, is because then in that place, God, the God of peace, will be with us. The presence of God will be with us. You give to this church not because you want me to have a bunch of money, but you give to this church to expand the kingdom of God. Or at least I hope that's the reason why. I hope, I hope that that's the reason why. But I can rejoice as I look at our tithing increasing. And I know that the presence of God, the blessing of God can be upon, will be upon you. Not can be, but will be upon you. And that's reason for rejoicing. Because in the work of this church, the kingdom of God expands to the glory of God. And in the work of your life, the glory of God is revealed, expressed, and sent out. That is, you feel the presence of God in your life. The world feels the presence of God in your life. And God is glorified. Paul concludes his letter with greetings. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. This is a quick note. In the first part of the letter, Paul talks about how the gospel, uh, the, the, his imprisonment has served to advance the gospel. He's, he's preaching to the guards, but he's also preaching to Caesar's household, which is a pretty incredible feat. One that only happens if Paul is in prison. Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. God in heaven, we... We thank you that we who are insufficient to, to love you, to follow you, to do what you have called us to do, have been given the blood and body of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that His work on the cross is enough to redeem us back to you. We thank you that because of His work, and because of his resurrection, you have bestowed upon us your righteousness. We thank you that your spirit dwells in us. 
instills a desire to be changed and transformed. That you give us the power to be healed. You give us the power to take the righteousness that you have given us and make it our own. We ask that you would continue to teach us, direct us, guide us. That you would show us how to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. How to think of others more significant than than ourselves. And how to proclaim your truth into a world that desperately needs it. We thank you that even in the midst of fighting, arguments, both in the church and in our daily lives, that we can give all to you in prayer and supplication. We can put our hope and our trust that you will provide ways of growing together, that you will soften hearts, make the stubborn molded, We thank you that you are a God who heals. We thank you also, Lord, for providing for us again and again in ways that are incomprehensible. We thank you that though called to contentment and seldom actually being content, you continue to provide for us in ways that might teach us to be content. Help us, Lord, to place our our confidence and our trust the same way that Paul did in your sovereignty that we can say with Paul in any and every situation that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We thank you, Lord, that you are a good and gracious God. That as we seek to serve you in finances, yes, in time and talents also, that you don't leave us abandoned, but instead continue to bless us even at times more than we deserve. Not so that we might find a place of wealth and prosperity that that our culture tells us is where we should be heading, but a place that glorifies you. God, we thank you. You are jealously after your own glory. Thank you that we are participants, not because we have to, but because you invite us to. Help us to turn our hearts, our focus, our attentions towards your glory today and every day. 
sing and praise your name now. A feeble attempt to show you what we feel towards you. We pray that through your spirit and through our hearts connected together in song, that you would be glorified. Father, it's in your precious and holy Son, Jesus. Great and awesome.